Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Wow. Good morning. Good morning. It's... It's a privilege to uh, be with you all this morning. Uh, it was actually a year ago, uh, next Sunday, it's Palm Sunday, that I remember teach, uh, teaching, preaching Palm Sunday a year ago. And uh, there were palm branches up here on the stage and I threatened Dave that him and I would do a palm dance for you. So obviously Dave's, you know, getting me back again a year later, but no palm branches. And do you notice he's left to go up to the children's building? So I think he's a bit, uh, a bit worried. But, uh, <laughs> well, let me just pray for our time uh, together this morning. Father, we thank you that where two or three are gathered you tell us in your word that there you are by your spirit. And so we give you thanks this morning that Holy Spirit, you are in this place. We say you are welcome. Father, we, we set our eyes upon you this morning. We turn our ears towards you. Father, we pray that you by your spirit would activate our hearts that, Father, we would be open to the things that you want to say to us, to the things that you're wanting to challenge or remind or encourage us in this morning. Father, we lift up the name of Jesus in this place. We thank you that every thought, every, every attitude, every emotion that would raise itself up against the knowledge of King Jesus, we take that captive in your name, and we give you thanks that you are in this place and that you are speaking. Would you meet each and every person this morning as only you can, in only ways that you can, in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, this morning we want to uh, continue on with our uh, King Jesus series, um, you know, I understand Dave launched it last week, King Jesus. And obviously, if it's a king, King Jesus, a king denotes someone who rules and reigns over a kingdom. And, you know, I, uh, for those of you who may be aware, may not be aware, I for uh, 29 years was serving as one of Gateway's missionaries uh, living and working out of South Asia, predominantly in India. And I had the privilege for those 29 years of working in many kingdoms. The kingdom of Nepal, which is no longer a kingdom, but I work there and live there, as well as uh, into uh, Sri Lanka, India, Bangladesh, and Bhutan. And uh, the amazing thing was in 2013... I had the opportunity of heading into Bhutan, and Bhutan is a kingdom. As a matter of fact, you'll see some photos coming up. Uh, I had the privilege of going with one of our local Bhutanese believers, 
And as you enter through the, the border of Bhutan, it actually says the royal kingdom of Bhutan. It is a kingdom that has a king who rules and reigns over it. Now, I didn't know much about Bhutan. Bhutan has about uh, 800,000 people, which is quite small for that part of the world, one of the most highly densely populated parts of the world in South Asia. So about 800,000 people, 75% of those people are Buddhist. So it's a, uh, a Buddhist kingdom, and it has less than half a percent evangelical Christians. And so uh, there's really a lot of work to be done to reach the unreached in that part of the world. Now, Bhutan, just like uh, Tibet, that's quite close on the border of China, it's, uh, <coughs> while it's an open kingdom to tourism, it's quite restricted in allowing tourists into the nation. And the way the government restricts tourists coming into Bhutan is they charge exorbitant fees for each day. It's around 350 Australian dollars per day to set foot as a tourist or as a foreigner into Bhutan. So I was very blessed and honoured to go with one of the few Bhutanese believers to do a scouting trip of this Buddhist nation as we prayed and considered uh, starting an underground ministry amongst uh, the Bhutanese Buddhists that were throughout the nation. And from the moment I stepped foot into the nation at the border, we were met by a government minder. So in Bhutan, from the moment you cross into the nation, into the kingdom, the government assigns a minder who stays with you the entire time you're in the nation. And that person is assigned by the government to take you to tourist destinations. You can't just go walking out on the streets of Bhutan by yourself. Only certain destinations. And so this government minder, the, the several days that we were with this, uh, this gentleman, I uh, several times uh, just planted seeds about the gospel, about Jesus. And on this particular day, the minder was taking us to Timpu, which is the capital of Bhutan, to the palace, to go around the palace grounds where the king of Bhutan and the queen were residing. And I was joking with him saying, oh, well, you're taking me to the king of Bhutan. I'm going to be meeting the king of Bhutan today and I'm going to be, uh, you know, honoring him and, and having a cup of tea with him, making fun. And the government minder was like, oh, no, 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 no commoners can go to, uh, to meet face to face with the king. And uh, it's very rare that you would even see the king in public. So while I was at the palace, walking around the grounds of the palace, the king of Bhutan, suddenly there was a great commotion and guards were running everywhere and people were running everywhere. 
And I said to my minder, I said, well, what's going on? And he said, and he was talking to people. He said, the king, the king is coming. The king is walking around the grounds of the palace. And he said, you've got to put your head down. Don't, you cannot look as a commoner. You cannot look at the king of Bhutan. Put your head down. And being the tourist I was, I was my head down looking, looking. And sure enough, right past me, Literally a meter away walked the king of Bhutan. And so I just happened to snap a photo of the king of Bhutan. You know, I'm such, such an obedient uh, tourist in Bhutan. When we got into the van to head back with the minder, I said to the minder, see, I told you I was going to meet the king of Bhutan. And the minder was like, I cannot believe that, that the king of Bhutan walked right past us. And I said, you know what? I said, I even prayed for the king of Bhutan. And I prayed for this nation of Bhutan, for this kingdom of Bhutan. And the minder was just blown away by what he considered luck that I happened to meet uh, I didn't meet, but that he walked past. I call that a divine appointment. But, you know, that's not the first time, you know, here's my skiding uh, of things. But that was not the first time I have personally rubbed shoulders with royalty. I don't know if you can call that rubbing shoulders. I mean, he just walked in front of me. When I was six years old in 1970 so now you're going okay so how old does that make her since she was six in 1970 let me help you out turning 58 when i was six years old queen elizabeth was coming to cairns in north queensland on her way to uh, green island and my mum took me to see the queen of england queen elizabeth and because i was so little and there was thousands of people lining up to see the queen of england i got to stand at the very front of the the ropes because you know i was only little and so the queen walked past i could have reached out my hand and i could have touched her but that encounter with the Queen of England, it just gripped my heart. I loved the Queen of England. I loved the fact that there were royalty. And I remember when I went to primary school, just a little bit later, standing there with my hand on my heart, God save our gracious Queen, long live our noble Queen, God save the Queen, da na na na, Santa Victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God save the Queen. And I used to sing that with so much gusto, so much passion because I had seen, I had, well, it felt like I'd met the queen, yeah? And uh, how many of you can remember singing that at primary school? Let's see how old, oh, we've got a few old people, sorry. The rest of you are, are either coming from other nations or, or just a bit too young. But the queen, Queen Elizabeth, has ruled and reigned as queen over the kingdom, the commonwealth, for 70 years. She really has longed to reign over us, yeah? 
And uh, that's a thing with a king or a queen. I mean, nowadays, there's very few nations that are called kingdoms. And that's because even though they may have a king or a queen, for example, the Netherlands has a queen, she's a constitutional monarch, meaning she, she rules in regards to the constitution, and many of them are, are simply symbolic heads of state. But there are still absolute monarchs or kings and queens that rule over kingdoms, over geographic nations. And in biblical times, that was the case. When someone talked about a kingdom, there were four main kingdoms in the biblical times. The Roman kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, and the Persian kingdom. So there were four kingdoms that ruled with kings and queens that ruled as absolute monarchs over the kingdoms. And what we need to understand as we look at this King Jesus series is that when we see the prophets and those that came before King Jesus, particularly John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, we see John the, Pap John the Baptist running around in the wilderness, eating locusts, you know, got camel's clothing and whatnot. And we see John the Baptist proclaiming a message to the people, which was, repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. Repent, for the kingdom of God is coming. So essentially, what we need to understand is for the people of that day, when they heard the words repent, change allegiance, turn around, turn about face, why? Because the kingdom of God is coming. What they understood was that a new king, an absolute monarch, was coming and he was going to rule and reign over a geographic area, a kingdom. So the king was God, that God would rule and reign over his kingdom. So by default, what John the Baptist was actually saying was the following. That King Nero, Emperor Nero, the Roman king, the Roman empire of which we were the inhabitants of, if we were in those days, it is no longer going to be the ruling, reigning King Nero, Emperor Nero, but that God himself was going to come and rule and reign in, in his place. And throughout the scripture, particularly the Israelites who lived in that part of the world, they were told over and over throughout the Torah, throughout the Old Testament, that a king was going to come. They had been told that this king would rule and reign, which meant by default he would overthrow their Roman oppressors and a new kingdom would be established. And that's why in the book of Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, this is just one of many passages that refer to this. 
Zechariah written 500 years, 500 years before Jesus even came on the scene, wrote, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. He will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends uh, and from the river to the ends of the earth and do you see that when Jesus went to John the Baptist and was baptized in the Jordan River and he rose from the water just like the baptism you'll be having in a week's time and a voice came from heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When Jesus began his public ministry, different to John the Baptist, he didn't say, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. What Jesus actually proclaimed, we see an example in Luke 17, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So rather than saying, repent, the kingdom is coming, Jesus was proclaiming the kingdom of God is now here. It is in our midst. And this is why when Jesus uh, was in Nazareth, this was very early on in his ministry, he walked into the synagogue on the Sabbath and they were, he was handed the, the scroll of Isaiah and he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah and he read the following in Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, he returned it to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, you can imagine for the people that were there in biblical times that understood kings and kingdoms with geographic areas with a ruling monarch, what they heard Jesus say that the kingdom of God is here and today the scripture is fulfilled, what that was saying is that Jesus himself was proclaiming he was king of a new kingdom. And and this is the reality. Jesus was simply not what people were expecting the new king 
to be like. They were expecting this powerful, charismatic, probably military ruler that would come and would overthrow and defeat the Roman army and probably decapitate Nero as ruler because that's what they used to do in those days. They were expecting this king that would be like a superhero, which on an interesting side point, I came across this picture of the king of Bhutan. This is how the Bhutanese see the king, especially around things like COVID. Because in Bhutan, they have a zero uh, COVID policy. They see him as this ruling superhero that all the superheroes bow down to. Because why a king was meant to be powerful and, and take control and leap tall buildings in a single bound. Well, that was not Jesus. If anything, Jesus was nothing like what the people expected. I don't know about you, but if I hear of somebody coming who's going to be my saviour, who's going to be my Messiah, who's going to be my king, I want a Superman sort of person, yeah? I want someone who can just like kick butt, literally. Someone who can just, you know, push back things that come against me. But Jesus never came in that way. He came in every way opposite. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He didn't come from an influential, wealthy, powerful family like Reiner, uh, the Reinhardt family, or I don't know if you can think of a powerful family in Australia, a wealthy family. He came from a carpenter. And even to boot, his mother was a virgin. He was ridiculed. People were like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He didn't come even from an influential city. Like, you know, it'd be like saying, I come from Melbourne. You know, he came from like, I don't know, what do you say? Ipswich? No offense, anyone's from Ipswich. <laughs> he didn't come in ways that people expected. He didn't come taking things by force and, you know, just slapping people down, kind of making headlines like Will Smith, the slap. That the slap of the century. He didn't rule and reign in ways that people expected. He was anything but what people expected. And this is what upset people. Who was Jesus? Who was this lowly, meek, and mild son of a carpenter? Who was he to proclaim the gospel? Who was he to say today the gospel, the scripture has been fulfilled? He didn't meet their expectations. And you know, that's the thing with expectations. Expectations, which we all have, are very powerful. And I think for many of us, just like the people in those days, when our, we don't even know we've got expectations until they're not met. And it's only then when we're frustrated, when we're annoyed, when we're confused, when these emotions start to get riled up inside us, that if we're self-aware enough, we can say, oh, 
I understand. I can see I had expectations in this person or this thing or this role or whatever it is because somehow it's not, it's not, the, it's not meeting the itch that I've got. Because expectations are very powerful. And so when Jesus proclaimed the good news, the gospel, that the kingdom of God was in their midst, what we need to understand, that word gospel, that word good news comes from a Greek word, euangelion. And euangelion, that that gospel good news, euangelion, that Jesus proclaimed, we need to understand what it meant to the listeners of that day. Now, there's a story in ancient Greek literature of rival kings going to war. We know, you know, King David would go to war at certain times of the year. So we know it was quite normal for kings to go to war against each other. And so there's this story of two kings going to war with each other. And so King, let's pretend King A and King B. So King A hears that the soldiers of King B are coming to attack his kingdom. So what does he do? He sends his soldiers to fight King B's soldiers. So they have this great big battle. But let's pretend King B defeats the soldiers of King A. So in this story, this Greek, this uh, story from Athens, King B defeats King A. And, you know, people are killed and, and stock are taken and people are taken as slaves and walls of cities are broken down. And then what King B does is he tells his soldiers to capture King A, behead him, stick his head on a stake, not like a beef steak, but on a steak, and put it in front of the city so that everyone who comes into the city sees King A decapitated. And then what King B does in this ancient story is he sends a herald, a messenger, into all the village squares of the defeated people in that part that he's defeated, and they unroll a scroll, because in those days, not everybody read. They didn't have CNN and Google or television. So he would unroll a scroll, the messenger, and he would say something like, I'm making it up, hear ye, hear ye, citizens that were once members of Kingdom A, you must now understand your emperor, your king has been beheaded, your soldiers have been defeated, you are no longer citizens of Kingdom A, you are now from this day forth citizens of Kingdom B. And here are the terms and the conditions under which you must now live. You no longer can speak the language of Kingdom A. Your children from this day forth shall only learn and speak the language of Kingdom B. You shall now give 10%, 20% of your crops and your income to the King B. You shall do all these terms and conditions. You get the hang of it? What we need to understand is that message, that scroll that the herald read was called the gospel. 
It was called the good news. It was called the euangelion. Now, you could be sitting there going, well, it kind of sucks. I don't think it's good news for the people who were defeated. You know, I mean, only from the victor's perspective is it good news, yeah? But that is what it meant. Now, let that sink into you. What it meant is that the king has been defeated. There is a new ruling monarch, a new king. This is now a new kingdom. And there are terms and conditions you must live under in the new kingdom. And so that was the understanding they had when in Romans 1.1, Paul stood up, the disciple Paul. And we read Romans 1.1 and we go, yeah, what's the big deal? We just read it. But now read it with a different mindset. Paul writes, Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son. You see, when Paul said, I am a servant, an apostle set apart for the gospel, What people understood was Paul was saying, I am a herald that has been sent into the town squares. I've been set apart with the gospel. And again, in Mark 1.1, we see the same statement from the disciple Mark. We just read these scriptures and we don't understand the significance of what they're saying. Mark says, the beginning of the Good news, gospel, euangelion, about who? Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And so, again, what people understood when Mark and Paul and even Jesus himself proclaimed the gospel, proclaimed that the King of God was there, was here, Jesus himself, like Mark, Like Paul, he was not only a herald bringing the gospel, the message, the scroll, he was the actual fulfillment of the very message itself. Jesus was the very center of the gospel. He actually was now the reigning, ruling king of kings, lord of lords. He wasn't just announcing that a king was coming. He was saying the king is here and it's no longer Herod. It's no longer Nero. It's no longer the emperors of the Roman Empire. But herein lies the problem. He was proclaiming a kingdom message that was not what people expected. And if anything, it was totally back the front inside out of any message they had ever heard before. Because instead of the king ruling and reigning and decapitating and murdering and forcing all these things on people, it was a message 
of serving. It was a message of loving. It was a message of blessing. It was a message that took the lowest place. And people couldn't understand that. And that's why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, in John 13, just before the Passover festival, let this sink in, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were already in the, in the world, loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up after the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He knew he had come from God. He knew he was returning to God. He knew he was king of kings and lord of lords. He was the ruling, reigning emperor of a kingdom. So what did he do? He took a job, a role that was the lowest of the low. You know, the world out there, the world wants to tell us that if you want to be a leader, if you want to be uh, an emperor, a ruler, a king, if you want to somehow exert authority, you've got to have a position or you've got to have a title or you've got to command the respect of others. You've got to somehow rule with power and authority if you really want people to respect you. Jesus could have done that. He knew he'd come from God. He knew he was returning to God. He was so secure in his identity as King of kings and Lord of lords. Yet what did he do? He chose, we're told in Philippians chapter 2, he did not equate equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be held onto. Look at me, I'm King of kings. It said he emptied himself. He limited himself of his divine authority. And Jesus took the place of a servant, the lowest position. Now, I lived in India. I have seen and lived in slums. I have seen the poorest of the poor for many, many years. And I tell you, I have seen and, and am friends with many people who are called untouchables, Dalits, the lowest caste in the, in the Hindu caste system. And those are the people who, who clean the toilets. They're the people who do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. Why? Because it's dirty, it's yucky, it's, it's low. 
And that's what Jesus did, to wash feet. Feet, I don't know about you. I don't know if we all take pride in our feet. But most of us are kind of like, eh, stinky feet, gross, yucky, get your feet off me. They're dirty, they're stinky, they're smelly. So what does Jesus do? Knowing his King of kings and Lord of lords, he takes off his garment and he begins to wash the feet of his subjects, to wash the feet of the disciples. He willingly became the suffering servant to the point that not only did he wash the feet of the disciples, he willingly, we know the story goes, laid down his life. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had the privilege, the absolute privilege of having leaders in my life who have demonstrated, who have modeled what servant leadership truly looks like. Servant leadership that does not take credibility by its title or its position, but a servant leader I'll never forget. When I was in the south of India, in the city of Bangalore, I was walking, working with a, a leader there, Aldrin. One day we were having a, it'd be like a church cleaning day, we were having a base cleaning day. And we had a septic system. So in India, the pipes are quite small. Uh, so you can't put any toilet paper, that sort of stuff into the toilet. And on this cleaning day, the septic system was blocked up. One of the pipes was blocked. And somebody had to get in the septic tank and unblock the the pipe, and we know what goes in a septic system, yeah, and it's not just number ones. Aldrin, the leader himself, climbed into that septic system, and he was up to his waist, up to his arms in all sorts of excrement, and he cleaned that pipe out. And I remember watching Aldrin going, here is the leader. There was about 100 staff. But he didn't just say, do this and do that. He was the one who actually did the job that we were all secretly praying, please God, not me. I was ready to say, I'm going to get money. Let's go and hire someone. Although it would have been an untouchable. It would have been a low caste that would have had to come and do that job. Instead, Aldrin modeled, not just through his words, but through his life, what a true leader looks like. And that's what Jesus did. And not only that, but this is as he proclaimed the, the, the gospel, the euangelion, the message, the herald of the gospel about him himself, the king of the gospel. We see he turns to his disciples and he says, now you come follow me. You be like me. You emulate and copy me. And the scripture goes on in verse 12 of John 13. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and you call me Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I your Lord 
and your teacher have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, Jesus calls us to follow him. The king, the one who rules and reigns over all that is seen and unseen. He calls us to serve and to bless others. And so the question remains, and I start with myself. You know, I take these motivational gift surveys. Have you ever done those sorts of tests? What always comes out the lowest for me is serving. Serving. So I start with me. What stops me? What stops you from serving one another? King Jesus set us an example. I think often things like my pride gets in the way. Laziness. Oh, it's just too much work to serve someone else. Ah, I don't want to do that. Fear. Fear of, well, what if they think I'm a pushover? What if people think they can just take me for granted? Fear that, that somehow says, no, i got to prove myself. I'm, I'm the pastor or I'm the leader or I'm somehow worthy and I demand your respect. Like somehow there's something in me that rises up that says I will not serve. Serving. Nobody even half the time sees it. At least if I get seen for what I do. Selfishness. Laziness. What stops you from serving? We don't just serve because Jesus says you will be blessed if you do that. We don't just serve so that we'll get blessed like somehow a prosperity gospel. We serve because we are made in His image. And He says, you too follow my example. You too follow me. Because He is King Jesus. He is God Himself, the King who came to this earth, ruling and reigning over all that is seen and unseen. He is the King that Scripture foresaw, the King that Scripture told us about. He is the King who humbled Himself. He became like you and I, limiting Himself to show us what it looked like to be someone who loved God. He was the King who showed us how to live, who showed us how to serve others and take the lowest place. He was the King who willingly went to the cross, the King who willingly gave up His life for you and for me, not because He had to, but because he so loved the world. He was the king 
who rose again on the third day and defeated the power of the enemy. He was the king who took the enemy's hold and he nailed it to the cross, defeating the power of the enemy. He is the king who now rules and reigns over heaven and earth. And he calls you and I as his disciples to continue on as his hands and his feet. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.